The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Every week I say this is going to be the short podcast. Every week it's not the short podcast, but this is the one. This is the one that's going to be short. Today's podcast is titled Throwing Rock. And I was so glad that I had an opportunity to circle back on a metaphor that I have historically always brought up when it comes to offensive play calling because after the Buffalo Bills dominated the Dallas Cowboys 31-10, the major storyline this week has been the success of James Cook and the Buffalo Bills rushing attack against the Cowboys defense. And I've mentioned before on this podcast that there's an element of rock, paper, scissors to offensive play calling and defensive play calling, and sometimes we're just not really willing to accept that. We want to accept that every single play call is equally successful or equally failure against every single defensive play call and vice versa. And that's just not the way it is. Certain things work better against other certain things. It's the reason why you want game-changing players on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. People who can play above the X's and O's, you might as well say, I want players who can play above the rock, paper, scissors. You want players who you can throw rock, they can throw paper, and you can still win the down. Jimmys and Joes matter more than X's and O's in those specific moments. And that's the thing that I think is interesting about the play calling and the discussions around the rushing attack against the Cowboys is the Bills had an effective rushing attack, but the Bills haven't struggled to run the ball effectively this year. The run blocking for the Buffalo Bills this year has been good. James Cook has been good. Ty Johnson has been good. Latavius Murray has been good. It wasn't a matter of effectiveness. It was a matter of volume. 
the difference between the Buffalo Bills rushing the ball all year long and the Buffalo Bills rushing the ball against the Cowboys was they pressed the button, it worked, and they went, well, I think I'll just keep pressing the button. And I know that that seems so incredibly basic. But sometimes in strategy, in all aspects of strategy, war strategy, business strategy, football calling strategy, whatever strategy you'd like, people have a problem when it comes to predicting the paper. And what they do is they'll throw rock and it will work. So they will preemptively decide that their opponent is going to pivot to paper. They say, well, I threw rock and it worked. Therefore, they're going to throw paper next. So I'm going to go ahead and throw scissors. But that's not how it works. Then you end up with scissors on scissors and now it's less effective. You threw rock, but you assumed that the paper was coming. We overthink it a lot in strategy. And you see offensive play callers do this. They press the button, it works, and they assume that the defense is going to pivot and stop them. What if they can't? What if they don't? Having a backup plan, having something to pivot to is good. There should be a natural extension of your play calling that if I call this set of plays, if I have this strategy, if I go into the game with this game plan and it gets countered, I have something to pivot to. That's good. That's just basic strategy. Have a contingency plan. But you don't have to always use it. It's called a contingency plan for a reason. In an ideal world, you wouldn't have to use it. That's what the word contingency means. Contingency is, well, we're going to use it as a contingency. Contingency means a future event or circumstance which is possible but cannot be predicted with certainty. The reason you have a contingency plan is because you cannot be 100% positive that your initial plan will work. That's why they call it a contingency plan. But that doesn't mean you have to use it. If your first plan works and you just keep pressing the button, let's just keep doing that. And so the Bills did. They ran it, and they ran it, and they ran it. They just kept throwing rock. And Joe Brady flat out came out and said that wasn't the plan. But I pressed the button, and it worked, so I just kept pressing it. Good for him. Good for Joe Brady. Because offensive play callers and defensive play callers have a tendency to overthink this stuff sometimes. So good for Joe Brady. If it's working, keep going with it, especially because that's not always going to be the answer. In fact, it's frequently not going to be the answer. Running the ball 49 times is not often the way to victory. Frequently, it's not the way to victory, especially not when you have a franchise quarterback. More often than not, the answer is uh, go with a franchise quarterback. But in this specific situation, You're just trying to win this game. You're not trying to win every single game right there against the Cowboys. You're just trying to win the Cowboys game against the Cowboys. Whatever it takes to do to win that game is what you should do. Josh Allen threw 15 passes against the Dallas Cowboys. I wrote an article for buffalorumblings.com where I talked about how rare it is for Josh Allen to be a passenger in the Bills offense. And I want to outline this for you. 
It was the fewest amount of passing attempts that Josh Allen has thrown in a game since his very first time playing in a regular season game for the franchise. Week one, 2018, he replaced an ineffective Nathan Peterman and passed the ball 15 times. Since that first game, he has thrown the ball over 15 times in every single regular season or playoff game except for week 17 in 2019 against the Jets where he only played a couple snaps before he sat down and got prepped for the playoffs. In fact, after his rookie season concluded and excluding the aforementioned Jets game, Allen only has one regular season or playoff game where he even threw it less than 20 passes. This is not something that happens with Josh Allen. Basically, ever. But it's sure nice to have the ability to do so. It's not something that's going to be a recipe for success often, but it was in that game. It's an example of one part of your team complimenting the other. Complimentary football. It's probably a breath of fresh air for a lot of people in Bill's Mafia because they would like to occasionally see their team to be able to win in a fashion other than Josh Allen, please go be Superman. Even Superman needs a breather here and there. That's why he has the Justice League. Josh Allen wasn't Superman against the Cowboys. Heck, he wasn't even Clark Kent. He was Jimmy Olsen. Helpful, nice to have, but not even close to being the main character. And for one game, it's kind of nice. I want to talk about the offensive line because it feels like everyone's talking about James Cook, and James Cook was great. The Buffalo Bills' offensive line this year has been so far improved from last year. Spencer Brown rounding into form as a, dare I say it, solid right tackle after last year. And Osiris Torrance coming in and being almost invisible, which is great for an offensive lineman, is amazing. He hasn't been like a dominant pro bowler, but how many games have you walked away going, yikes, Osiris Torrance? One? One and a half this year? Where he got worked over pretty bad and that's basically it? James Cook averaged 4.2 yards before contact per attempt against the Dallas Cowboys. He could have fallen directly on his rear end the second he got touched and still had a great day. That's how dominant the Bills' offensive line was. I know there are some competing theories out there about how much, what percentage of yards before contact per attempt is offensive line versus running back. I have always leaned that it's more of an offensive line stat than it is a running back stat. It is something on my list of things to look at this offseason. See how the correlations lie. Draw up some charts. You know, fun nerd stuff. But overall, a great day for James Cook as a direct result of the fact the Buffalo Bills absolutely bullied a smaller, faster Dallas Cowboys team. The Bills could have run Ty Johnson 25 times and still had a good day on the ground. Probably not as good of a day on the ground because, you know, James Cook is a better running back than Ty Johnson, who, by the way, I've been very satisfied with Ty Johnson. I would like to bring him back into camp next year. 
So I'm perfectly happy with his fit in this offense, and I'm I'm interested in bringing him back. But the run blocking was good enough that you could have run a lot of good or average or above average running backs a bunch of times and gotten success. Not as much success, but success. And it's really nice after so many years of complaining and worrying about the offensive line that it's been overall good. Now, they're going to have down weeks. That's going to happen. I think they had a, a fairly down week last week against the Kansas City Chiefs. But overall, they've been very good this year in run blocking and pass blocking. So plurality pie for the Buffalo Bills against the Dallas Cowboys. Offensive line, 22%. James Cook, 20%. The highest amount ever given to a running back. Sean McDermott, 20%. Sean McDermott, with one hand tied behind his back, beat the ever-living snot out of one of the best offenses in football. When I say one hand tied behind his back, he's missing multiple preferred defensive starters. And he just whooped them. Joe Brady, 15%. Keep mashing the button because it works. Other, 23%. Plurality Pie, Buffalo Bills, Dallas Cowboys. We are going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We're going to devote the second half, or however long this goes, of the podcast to emails, and then we'll get out of here. Alex says, hey, Bruce, first, love the show. It's a genuine highlight of my weekly podcast schedule, and I really appreciate all the effort you put into ideating such unique content about my Buffalo Bills. I work in corporate communications. Whenever I or my colleagues are struggling to express their views or opinions, I take a small post-it note and I write keywords on it. I then try to structure those words in a coherent sentence. If you were to sum up the Bills season in three to five words today, what would those be? I'm also intrigued to see how the words on your post-it note evolve during the off-season when there's time for true reflection. Also, thanks for sharing your personal story about your pup. As a dog owner, it brought me to near tears, and I appreciate my little friend in a whole new light now, Alex. First off, Alex, huge props for the usage of the word ideating. 
It's just not something that pops up frequently, but you do work in corporate communications, so that, that makes sense. Um, I'm not going to tell you what I do for a living, but I will tell you that I don't encounter that word as often as I would like to. If I was going to put three words on a post-it note for the Buffalo Bills season, it would be challenge, grow, overcome. I think that this idea that you can stay stagnant in terms of your mentality and your growth as a coach and somehow keep getting better because the roster around you gets better indefinitely is not true. Sean McDermott says he has a growth mindset, and I think that if ever there was a time to prove it, this is the year. Number one, you've been faced with meaningful challenges on the injury side of the ball on your defense, which you just took over to coach. So now you took it upon yourself to call the play calls for the defense, and now you're shorthanded. You got dealt a bad hand. On offense, you went through an offensive coordinator change, which was a a meaningful challenge. You had to change midseason. You would have preferred not to, but things were stagnant. Things were not going the way you wanted them to, and you need to make a change. You're probably feeling thankful that you had Joe Brady, but while we're on the topic, we should really be giving Sean McDermott credit for hiring Joe Brady. I know, I know, I know, I know what you're thinking. Well, they should have fired Dorsey earlier. And sure, okay, I, I, I understand that argument. But how many offensive coordinators do you see get fired during the year and things don't actually ever get better? Because they don't actually have a better option. Oh, well, you know, Sean McDermott wanted to hire someone else as QB coach. That's true. Joe Brady was probably the second choice for Sean McDermott. But if you have a list of 24 candidates for your coaching staff and you narrow it down to two, and the first guy turns down the offer, and you give the second guy the job, and he turns out to be a win, that's still a win for you as a hiring manager. Like, that's still a W. And I know, you know, a bunch of people were still mad at Sean McDermott because earlier this year we still want to get him fired, so we're not willing to give him credit for the hiring of Joe Brady. But we should. Because firing Ken Dorsey maybe earlier would have helped for sure. Not everybody has a good option to pivot to because their coaching staff isn't well-stocked with people who can do it. Having the luxury of having multiple people on your staff who have called plays did not happen by accident. It didn't just fall into it. That was a specific hiring decision that Sean McDermott made. So having options to go to, in this case, a good option to go to, I've been very satisfied with Joe Brady. Having a good option to go to is something we should be giving Sean McDermott credit for. We're going to rightfully bash him for the decisions he makes that are bad, but we also need to make sure we give him credit for the decisions he makes that are good. And the truth of the matter is he hired a good quarterbacks coach. If you're a team owner and you interview five head coaching candidates, you narrow it down to two. You make an offer to one. He turns it down. You end up hiring the second one. He kills it. Yeah, part of that's luck. Part of you just got lucky that the first guy turned it down. But the first guy could have been great too. You don't know that. But you still narrowed it down to two. And you know for a fact that one of them was good. Both of them could end up being good. You don't know. And it doesn't have to be 100 or zero. It can still be some credit for it. 
Like we always think that credit and blame goes 100 and zero. I don't, how many more times do we have to do plurality pie before we realize that's not the case? 100% credit, 100% blame probably aren't a thing. So when I say we should give Sean McDermott credit for it, I'm not saying we should give him 100% credit for it, but we should certainly give him some. And somehow there's people right now who want to give him none. So challenge, grow, overcome are the three words. Because this team was challenged on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball this year. It's going to require growth, specifically from Sean McDermott, in order to get this hat, you know, situated, get it right, and to have them overcome. And if they end up winning out and making the playoffs, then this could potentially be a dangerous team. You could have Daquan Jones back. At that point, you're at full strength minus Matt Milano and Trey White. The AFC is also looking a lot more mortal than it historically has. So you never know what happens. But those would be my three words. Amy says, hey, Bruce, I just finished listening to the podcast and wanted to thank you. The last two years, I haven't been able to watch many Bill game, Bill's games due to work obligations. In turn, I listen to more Bill-centric pods. This year, because how frustrating the season has been, I just kept paring down what I listened to. I'm down to you because you're nuanced and fair. Jamie D and Big Newt because they make me laugh and speak to how I'm feeling. And occasionally Joe Marino because he's also nuanced and fair. It's really nice to have reasoned voices to listen to in our overwhelming world of hot takes and hysteria. So thank you. I was having a conversation with someone recently about superpowers. And I truly believe this. I truly believe that every single person on this planet has a gift of some sort. They have some sort of superpower. And identifying it and being able to lean into it, I think, is a big part of self-awareness and a big part of growing as a human. One of my superpowers is selective apathy. There are certain things in life that I care deeply about, right? My wife, my dogs, other things, right? And then there's a ton of things in my life I just don't care at all about. So one of the reasons why hot take artists are necessary is because they're willing to do anything to get your attention. They'll say anything. They'll be disingenuous. I have this conversation with other content creators and sometimes media members about how this person doesn't even believe the things they're saying. Like they're willing to just lie and just yell things because they don't care. All they care about is getting your attention. I don't have to worry about that because I have never operated under any sort of delusion that I'm going to do this for a living. I don't want to. I don't want to be a sports media member for a living. I don't want to create sports content for a living. It's far too volatile of an environment for me. Hats off to the people who do. But because I don't have to care about that, I don't have to yell and scream hot takes for your attention. If I get no more attention ever for the rest of my life, I'm fine. I don't have to be number one on any lists because I don't have to support myself with this. I don't have to crave your attention. I don't have to care what the algorithm says. I can name my podcast whatever I want to name my podcast. And if it screws with the algorithm, then so be it. Because I like it. I don't care. It's fine. So I don't have to be in any conflict. I don't have to constantly be pulled between, I would like to be nuanced and fair, but I really need to grab their attention, so I got to say this outlandish thing. I don't have to worry about that, which is nice. It's a big it's a big plus on my side. And by the way, uh, Jamie D and Big Newt are are hilarious. I, I love to listen to Jamie D and Big Newt and uh, 
you guys know how I feel about Joe Marino. Joe Marino's fantastic. He, in my opinion, he's the best person in this space. Um, he also has the best content in this space. So that probably helps. Luke says, hey, Bruce, I've recently been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I have lived with this disorder for about 10 years. I had no idea. I was living in an abnormal headspace beforehand. For your listeners who are struggling, the toughest part for me was taking that first step to fixing this with medication and cognitive behavioral therapy. Just so you know, uh, Luke did give me permission to share this on the pod. While it's been nice to get the help I have so desperately needed, I have noticed that there are some crossovers between cognitive distortions and NFL fandom. Let me know if any of these sound familiar after a game. All or nothing thinking. Seeing things as black and white with nothing in between. Overgeneralizing. Believing that something will always happen because it happened once. Fortune telling. Believing that you can predict a future outcome while ignoring alternatives. Magnifying and minimizing. Seeing things as dramatically more or less important than they actually are. Labeling. Using a label to describe a behavior or error. I have found a great deal of irony in the similarities between the negative side effects of football fandom and cognitive distortions. I'm thankful for your podcast. Keep up the good work. Luke, my friend, you're preaching the choir. I have talked ad nauseum on this podcast about the negative effects of fandom and how for most people, fandom isn't even a net positive. Like they're miserable all the time. It's really a, like a, like it's not a net positive for them. It's not even a hobby. It's something they, they feel compelled to do and they have to do it, but like, it's not even fun. And everything that you talked about is things that we do. And I just, I have pounded the table and tried to encourage my listeners for years now to take all the good and leave all the bad because you don't have to, you don't have to accept that. You don't have to behave that way. You can mute who you want on Twitter and stay off and go hug your dogs after a game. And you don't have to do all the stuff. I almost feel like people think they have to because if they don't, then that means they're less of a fan. That means they're less emotionally tied. But you can be emotionally tied to a victory and not be crazy emotionally tied to a loss. Those two things don't have to go together. You can be really happy about a victory and not be messed up about a loss. People think that you, you got to take, well, you got to take the good with the bad. Like, it's just the way it is. Oh, fandom, fanaticism, blah, blah, blah. That's what they say. Like, no, that it doesn't have to be that way. You can choose a better path. So yeah, there are a lot of similarities between cognitive distortions and the negative effects of fandom. Jackie says, hey, Bruce, some extra feel-good Bills news on top of the win tonight. I'm a reporter in Rochester, and a parent shared this story with me. There's a girl named Abby, and she's a cancer survivor, and Josh has been with her through several important milestones on her health journey. Just thought you'd like to know. It certainly made me smile. Uh, at the Jackie Napier. The Jackie Napier is her handle on Twitter. If you go there, you'll see there's a picture of Abby with her buddy, Josh Allen, and a Joshy bear, which is like a stuffed bear because she's been one year cancer-free. Um, Oshai Children's Hospital obviously was a big part of that, and uh, Josh Allen obviously has meaningful ties to that hospital. So I am happy to hear this. Uh, I hope you all go there and, and see the great picture and, and read the story. David says, good morning, Bruce. Happy Victory Monday. I'm starting a podcast next month, and I'd like to know if you have any advice or resources that help you get started. I'm looking to target the aspiring entrepreneur who's trying to figure out how to make it in this space. It took me four years to figure it out, and I tried everything. 
I'll interview a lot of people, share my takeaways, share my experiences so that people can learn from them. I'm mainly looking to establish my authority in this space and grow my network. I made plenty of money with the business and I'm not starving anymore. I just want to help people who are about to take the leap to grind the right way so that they, you know, can put their energy into stuff that works and succeed in business while staying married. I'd appreciate any advice you could throw my way. So my advice for young podcasters or new podcasters is always this. Find out why you're doing it and don't ever, 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 ever lose it. Ever. People start endeavors with a mindset, with a goal. They start it with a why. And a lot of times they just lose it. Last week I said that football is ostensibly supposed to be fun, right? This is the same thing with podcasting. I started this ostensibly because it was fun, right? But what happens is it turns into a really horrible thing because I keep adding things and I sign up for more things and I change things and all of a sudden it's not fun anymore. It's like playing telephone. You start off telling yourself one message and then years and years later, all these different versions of yourself have told all these different messages and by the time it gets back around, the message isn't even recognizable anymore. Find out why you're doing it and just don't ever lose it because then it's going to be a net negative for you in your life. And you will have started off saying, I am going to help entrepreneurs. And then two years from now, you're going, this sucks. Why am I doing this? The second thing is find out the thing that you do well and just lean into it because everyone's going to have a thing. You can't just be like that person unless you're just an immensely talented person. You can't find someone who's really successful, copy their style and then do it a little bit better. So you're just like a version of that guy, but better. Most people aren't that immensely talented. I'm not anyway. So I just steer into the skid. This podcast is not for everybody. There's a lot of people who listen to this podcast and walk away going, who the heck is that guy? Like, I don't want to listen to him anymore. I, they, th- they say I'm preachy or I'm egotistical or I have a horrible personality or I'm bombastic or like, that's fine. I'm cool with all that stuff. Now, I think I disagree with the egotistical thing, but I'm 100% preachy. Let's be honest. Let's be very clear. I'm preachy. I think I'm preachy for a good reason, but I'm preachy. If you listen to this show and you walk away and go, ah, Bruce is preachy. Yep, I am. It's my method of delivery. There's plenty of people who listen to this podcast who like that. There's a specific cadence to it. There's a specific tone. There's an up and down. The vernacular is a specific way. The pacing is a specific way. It's the thing that I do well. So I just do it. The third thing, so first thing is making sure that you never lose sight of your why. The second one is lean into what you do well. And the third thing is be genuine with the people who consume your product. Social media is for marketing for sure. But social media is also for people to see a little piece of you. They will be more willing to forgive your flaws and your faults if they know you. And let's be completely clear. You don't know my real name. You don't know my real job. You don't know my location. You don't know a lot of things about me, but you know me. You've listened to me for years probably. A lot of you have listened to this show many, many, many times. You know me. Which means if I say something stupid, you're probably going to be willing to forgive me because you know me. And if people don't know you, they're going to be far less likely to forgive you. You're going to end up losing a bunch of listeners 
Because the first thing time you say something and they disagree with it, they hate your take, they're out. Because they don't know you. Let people know you. Let them get to know you. So that even if something you say doesn't strike them the right way, they might be willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. So those are my three pieces of advice for aspiring podcasters. I hope that makes sense and I hope it's helpful. Joe says, Bruce, you said three games is a trend. We have four with Joe Brady. What good and bad trends have you seen from the offense in that span? Was it the right move? Number one, yes, I think it was the right move. I didn't think Ken Dorsey was a terrible offensive coordinator. I still don't think he was a terrible offensive coordinator. I just think Joe Brady's better. A lot of the passing game execution stuff that I was railing on earlier this year, it's still there. It's there in lesser quantities because they're running the ball more and they're taking a lot of easy stuff. But it, it's still there. So for me, the good trend is specifically the thing we mentioned before. I don't think Joe Brady overthinks anything. I think he comes to it with an air of humility to it. And he says, listen, I kind of come in with an idea. I'm going to try it. If it works, I'm just going to keep doing it. And if it doesn't work, then I'll have another plan. But I think there's an air of humility. I don't think that he over-intellectualizes the offense. And I think that that was one of the flaws of the Ken Dorsey offense is that I have to have a solution to every single coverage on every single play. And that slows people down. It increases your probability for execution mistakes. But I think that's the good with Joe Brady. I think increased use of motion, especially in the passing game, is good with Joe Brady. I want more play action. So that's my my continued uh, rant against play action. Brandon says, Howdy, Bruce. Watching the Bills utterly dominate one of the best teams in the league with Josh Allen barely throwing the ball was not something I ever thought we would see. After the game, a friend of mine, who's a Packers fan from Western New York, Asked me if there was a change in strategy or performance in the Bills' running game since switching from Dorsey to Brady. I have no idea. So I thought I'd ask the smartest Bills fan I know of. Well, why are you asking me then? Haha. Is there a difference between Buffalo's running game since replacing OC? If so, is there a way to see this in the data or is it more a film study thing? It's not that different, schematically. I think there's a, there's a touch higher zone count if you go and you pull the metrics. Um, but it's still three basic overarching structures, right? They, they, they run duo, they run tackle wrap, they run mid zone. And I think that a lot of it's that like just a lot of it's that. And I mentioned earlier that it's much more of a volume issue than it is an efficiency issue. The bills have been a, an effective running team the entire year. You just haven't seen it in that volume. And so I really think that shined a light on the efficiency because there was so much volume, but the efficiency actually didn't change that much. It was really a volume issue. James says, dear Bruce, I hope this email finds you well. I know the holiday season can be really happy or really challenging for people. Should we be concerned with how Stefan Diggs has looked since Joe Brady took over? Under Dorsey, Diggs averaged 7.4 receptions on 10.2 targets per game for 86.8 yards a game and 0.7 touchdowns a game. With four games under Joe Brady, those numbers have dropped to 4.5 receptions per game on 8.75 targets per game for 43.15 yards per game and 0.25 touchdowns per game. Diggs saw his numbers dip after the Minnesota game last year, but I chalked a lot of that up to Allen's UCL injury. It seems to me 
Now, this could be another reason for the Bills to make a meaningful draft investment at wide receiver. We might be seeing the first signs of father time catch up with Diggs. The Bills are running the ball more than they were. So I think the passing attempts are going to go down. In addition, running backs have a higher target share under Brady than they did under Dorsey. So I think there's fewer opportunities, like you said, fewer targets. And he did have a run of really good corners. So I'm, I know three games is a sample size, for sure, for a trend. So it's a trend. But I'm not hitting the panic button yet on Stephon Diggs. There's just some. There's too many other factors at play for me to be able to isolate and say it's Stephon Diggs. Now, he is 30 years old, and he was never a an elite, elite, elite athlete for the position. So is there a chance that Father Time's catching up? Sure, absolutely. That's a thing. I'm just not willing to go there quite yet. Joe says, thanks for your consistent content. It gets better each week. An almighty take on the newfound offensive success of our beloved Buffalo Bills. Aaron Cromer goes to Brady upon his promotion and says, if you'd like to be the OC for 2024, get us to the playoffs by following my game plan for the running game. He has this O-line dialed in like it's never been in front of Josh. He sees Cook is ready to take the next step. He knows how freaking good Josh is under center. And with play action and motion involved, maybe my Christmas wistfulness, but this will be a classic O-line move. Get the job done for the betterment of the team. Pass the, pass the credit to help another. Thanks for all you do for Bill's Mafia. Merry Christmas. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Cromer. It took a year longer than I thought it was going to take. Like I thought we'd see a little bit more instant impact from Cromer. But second year... I mean, you can't really argue this is the best offensive line has been since Sean McDermott's been the head coach. So that's a W. Daggone it, I did it again. I said it was going to be a short one. I said, this is going to be the one. It's going to be like a running joke now with us. Every week I'm like, this is the short one, and it, it ends up not being the case. I knew I had a lot of emails, but I didn't realize some of them were going to take me that long to respond to. But I want to say one more thing before I get out of here, and that's this is the last time we're going to talk before Christmas Day. So I celebrate Christmas, so I will wish you all a Merry Christmas. I don't know which holiday you celebrate. You might celebrate none of the holidays. But given the fact that I don't know you personally enough to know which holiday you celebrate, instead I will wish you a Merry Christmas because that's what I celebrate. And I wish my joy to be your joy. The holidays are a time of reflection for many. And sometimes with that reflection comes sadness. Maybe you're not where you want to be, or maybe you're nervous about changes ahead, upcoming stress. Maybe you're reflecting and, and that reflection makes you lonely. It's a hard time to be on social media for a lot of people because it's hard not to compare yourself to the things that you see on social media, especially this time of year. And it has a tendency to kind of devalue us sometimes. And if that's you, then I just want to tell you something. And that is that you have value because you woke up this morning. And that was all that was ever required. You didn't have to do something to earn that. You didn't have to be something to earn that. You don't have to be where you want to be. You don't have to have a perfect family or a perfect job or exactly where you want to be. You didn't earn it. That's what makes it special is that you don't earn your value. Value is not earned. It's intrinsic. You have it because you exist. And that means that no one can take it from you. 
And so if you're someone out there who's struggling this holiday season, I just, I just want to encourage you. And I just want to tell you that because the next time we talk Christmas day will be passed. I know that that's a little weird, but I, I just felt led just in case that there was somebody out there who was listening to this, who might find a little bit of joy in that, maybe a little encouragement. I wish you all a Merry Christmas. And if you are into gift exchange and potentially you don't receive the gift that you really wanted, you can just throw your shoulders up in the air and go, well, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.